Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're grateful that you've gathered us um, again this morning to, to come worship you as your, as your church gathered. Um, a little later on, we, we do pray that you would prepare our hearts for um, all that we get to, all that we will get to experience in the service, the, the singing, the praying, the reading of your word, um, sitting under your word preached and, and celebrating um, communion together. Pray that you would just ready our hearts for all that we're going to receive um, and pray that it would be a, a great benefit and, and edifying to us as, as your body. Pray this morning as our time in Sunday school that you would um, give us uh, attentive ears to, to learn of this, this new study in the book of Acts. Pray that through this study over the next couple of months that we would come to a greater understanding of Acts, but, but also just a greater appreciation and love for your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you didn't get a, a handout, Landry's the handout guy. So, there you go. But today, it's a very exciting day. It's because our first Sunday school in the, the new year, but more importantly, the beginning of a new study, which is always exciting for me. And we're going to spend the next couple of months studying this book. It's purple or maroon. What do you think that is? Brown. It's definitely not brown. So, okay, maybe it's brown. Andrea knows. I don't know. I think it's rust. Rust. Yes. There you go. Yeah. It's called. It's called the mission of the triune God. The mission of the triune God. A theology of Acts. There was a link sent in the newsletter, so you don't have to memorize what this looks like. But this is the book we're going to be going through the next couple of months. Um, and I'm very excited about it. It's written by Patrick Schreiner. And this book is actually part of a new series of books that I'm, I'm particularly excited about. It's a series published by Crossway. And it's entitled New Testament Theology, I think. Yes, New Testament Theology. And the goal over the next few years for Crossway through, this, through the publishing um, is that they're going to release a book on every New Testament book, a theology of each book on the New Testament. And what makes this series unique is that the books will be focused on, on the larger theological themes of each book by focusing on the discipline of biblical theology. Biblical theology. And if you were here at all last year for our Sunday school study through the book of Dominion and Dynasty, then you should be, hopefully, well acquainted with Biblical theology. In short, really what this new series of books and what, what this book we're going to be studying through the book of Acts, what they're doing is synthesizing the, the big picture themes and theological developments in a New Testament book by paying attention to the historical and, and literary dimensions of a text. And probably most importantly, these authors are seeking to make theological claims by, by quote, I'm quoting here, presenting the teaching of a particular New Testament books about God and his relations to the world on their own terms, maintaining their sights of the Bible's overarching narrative and Christ-centered focus. 
So it's a direct quote from the, the editors of the series, Tom Schreiner and Brian Rosner. Um, so the big idea here in this series is to write a theology on a New Testament book that is centered on the historical, literary, and kind of the, the whole Bible context of the book, where the book is situated in the story. And as you can probably tell, I'm very excited about this series. I think it's going to be a great benefit to the church for years to come. So I encourage you not to just get this book, but every book that comes out in the series, I'm, I'm pretty confident it's going to be very beneficial for us. Again, it's called the New Testament Theology Series from Crossway. And I'm sure we'll probably, maybe, Lord willing, visit some of these books in future Sunday school studies together. Um, now, our book that we're studying is, again, it's written by Patrick Schreiner. He is a, a New Testament professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. And today, the goal for our time together is to, to get through the, the introduction of the book, which really just lays the, the foundation and the structure for the, the rest of the book. He lays out his, his principal argument, his thesis. But the first thing he does in the introduction, which I think is, is helpful, is, and he points out that it's, it's really important in, in understanding the meaning and the significance of the book of Acts is to talk about the, the uniqueness of Acts the unique aspects of Acts. And, and the first way he points out that Acts is unique is just in its content. The content of Acts is unique. So most of what is found in Acts is found in no other New Testament book or, or letter. And Acts alone is where the, the Spirit rushes upon the believers at Pentecost. We see Peter's encounter with Cornelius and the, the narrative of the Gentiles' incorporation into the people of God, making the, the church truly multi-ethnic. We see that account. Acts is also where we get the, the narrative account of Paul's missionary journeys to a number of important early churches that will, should sound familiar to us. Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, which helps our understanding... Uh, the context of Paul's letters to these churches that we have later for, later for us in the New Testament. So the book of Acts contains a lot of unique content that is found nowhere else in the New Testament. Another probably more simple way that Acts is unique is that it sort of, sort of functions as a, a hinge between the narrative gospel accounts of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles, or, or the letters to the early church. And Acts is like, like the bridge in the middle of the gospel accounts of the life, ministry, death of Jesus, and the letter to Jesus' church. In the middle, the bridge of those two things, Jesus' life, death, and the letters to his church, is kind of the, the, the birth of the church which we find the, the birth of the, the New, Testament, New Testament church fully in, in the book of Acts. So it functions as this, this hinge or bridge in the, the New Testament. 
And in Acts, we, we have a recounting, a history given to us, a narrative history of the birth of the church age, which is the age that we are presently still living in. If we think about it on, on the timeline of, of redemptive history, of where we sit in the history of the world and God's dealings of, of redemption in the history of the world. So in Acts, we see a, a new stage in Christian history, which is, is the, the post-Jesus, post-Messiah life. So everything before Acts canonically, so the, the, the whole entire Old Testament, which is a lot of the Bible, um, the Gospels, they're, they're either pre-Jesus or with Jesus. And no longer then are the, are the characters in Acts looking forward to, or are, are the teachings and prophecies looking forward to a Messiah or, or with the Messiah. No, in Acts we see a fundamental shift in history and, and a shift in the people of God as we see how, how Jesus' followers organize and are, are faithful to the Lord's commands after he's, after he's departed from his people and sent his spirit to his people. And so in, we can think of this kind of as a birth narrative, as acts as a birth narrative, the birth of the, of the church. And we see the church then being this new institution, this infant uh, organization, we see the church then figure things out in the world. We, we see what God has instructed them to do in Acts, where and what the, the kingdom of God is. How will they respond to the incorporation of Gentiles into the, the people of God, into the church? How will they deal with persecution and living under Roman rule? What is the future of God's people? All of these very important questions get, get addressed in the book of Acts. And thus, it's, it's absolutely necessary for us to answer the same questions that, that we have living in the same age. And in this way, Acts serves as a, a model, or more precisely, a a prototype for the renewal of the church. So a model of renewal for the church. <clears throat> Acts is given to the church to encourage and renew God's people. And Shriner argues that Acts does this in two different ways. Two different ways. What he calls Acts being a, a transitional book, a transitional book and a programmatic book. A transitional and a programmatic book. And by transitional, what he has in mind is, is pretty much exactly what we have just been talking about. Acts recounts a time completely unique in salvation history. It, it's recounting a transition in salvation history where Jesus ascends to the Father and sends the Spirit to his followers it's, it's the, the birth of the church age, and thus in Acts we see a number of non-repeatable events that, that were, were necessary to occur because of their location in the big story of the Bible. Right? The, the, these events were necessary in the formation of this new community, new covenant people of God in Jesus. 
So one clear example of this is Pentecost. It's an unrepeatable event where the, the Spirit descended upon, upon God's people, and they all spoke in different tongues, different human languages, and they understood each other miraculously. It was a miraculous event that occurred at a specific time, a specific moment in time in salvation history for a specific purpose, which we'll see later on in the study. Another key feature here about the, the transitional nature of the book is the, the, the ministry of the Twelve Apostles. And this establishment of the Twelve Leaders of the Church is, is exclusive to this time period alone. Another example of a unique non-replicable event in Acts is Ananias and Sapphira. Right? They were struck down, they were killed by God. Right? This is not likely to be a paradigm text to require immediate termination and execution of Christians that, that lie to the church. Right? It's another event that highlights the transitional nature of the book in that there, there are many unique events that occur in the book because of where it is situated, where it is placed in salvation history. And we're going to explore that topic quite a bit throughout this whole series. Um, but it's really a key point to know when, when reading and interpreting the book of Acts at, at the start of this series. Because without that foundation, you, come, you can come to, as I'm sure you're well aware, of a whole host of wacky interpretation and practices for the church that were never intended to actually be replicated if we were read, to read the, the text in its right context. Now, Acts is also for the church in that it's programmatic, meaning it provides guidance for the church. So there are imperatives, there's commands, there's things that we, we, we should take and must do. Um, it provides guidance for the church in every age, and its message isn't just for its particular time and location. It transcends that time and location. And we know this because the same spirit we see move and work and acts is still work, working and active today, even among us. The, the church, the, the same Christ rules today. The, the same God still, still sustains his church. And really what is amazing is that we're actually a part of the, the exact same story. Acts recounts this, the success of the gospel message going forth by God's plan, by God's providence, centered on Jesus, empowered by the, the Spirit, and we are a part of that same gospel going forth, the same gospel message going forth by the same triune God. So in that sense, the book of Acts is entirely re relevant. It's, it's completely practical to us as a church in the 21st century. And what we're going to see happen as we, as we study the book of Acts is, is pretty remarkable as the gospel in the span of 30 years is preached and churches then are, are formed expansively from Jerusalem, Athens, Ephesus, and the, the empire of Rome. I mean, these are some of the most prominent, some of the most important places in the ancient world. And we see in Acts the gospel preached, Christians 
that are, are saved, churches are planted there. So, so we could say, most fundamentally, we see God's plan working. Schreiner writes, Luke writes Acts to encourage the church, telling it that this is the plan of God. His kingdom plan is not to put on hiatus once Christ leaves. Rather, his plan kicks into high gear as the Spirit comes and the good news goes to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. Of course, they're quoting Acts 1.8. So in Acts, we, we see God's plan for the church be worked out in history, which functions as an encouragement to us, because we're, we're a part of that same church, we're, we're a part of that same story, and it really functions then as, as a program for us, as a model for us, um, through the church in all ages. So I'll just pause here for a drink of water. Any questions, comments so far? The next thing um, Schreiner looks at as he's kind of laying the foundation for his book in the introduction is to look at the purpose Acts has written. So to look at the, the, the purpose, why we have the book of Acts. And the first thing to say is that with, with all New Testament books, probably all biblical books, but, but maybe in particular with the size and, and the breadth of the book of Acts, it's a, a multi-layered, a multi-purpose document. Meaning, boiling down Acts to one purpose is probably impossible, not likely. But it's beneficial to come see to, to, to see some key or, or foundational purposes for the book of Acts. And one thing that's necessary when thinking about the purpose of Acts is to remember that Acts is actually the sequel or, or the second volume of one book. Right? It, it's paired with the book of Luke. These books, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, are connected by the, the same author. They're, they're both actually the, the same historical narrative in, in two chapters, in two volumes, however you want to look at that. So that means the, the prescript to Luke will actually shed light to the purpose and meaning of the book of Acts. The prescript to Luke is going to help us understand the, the purpose and meaning of Acts. So let's turn over to Luke 1. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So Luke 1, I'll read to verse 4. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Kind of a complicated sentence, but it's a really informative sentence. And Schreiner makes the helpful point that, that from these verses we get the, the, the purpose statement for why Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, which will, will help us in our interpretation or you could say our, our theologizing of the book of Acts. 
So notice it seemed good to Luke in verse 1 to, to compile a narrative. And we see in verse 3 it's primarily written for Theophilus. Um, there's some speculation, speculation of what, who or what this name is referring to. Maybe a high-ranking official where I've seen some argue that's a symbolic name referring to anyone seeking the, the truth of Christianity or who is a, a convert. I honestly have zero idea um, which is true, but what is clear is that Luke is writing a narrative. He's writing a story, and now we need to ask a narrative of what? A story of what? Well, in verse 2, we see a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. A narrative of the things that have been accomplished. Well, that word accomplished can also be translated fulfilled among us. So Luke is writing a narrative of the things that have been fulfilled among us, among his people. And Luke says then in verse 3 that in essence, he, he's, he's well qualified to do this. He has, he has qualifications to do this because he's followed things, all things closely so that he can write a well-ordered account of the events of this narrative. So that he can write a well-ordered account of the events. And here's the big key in verse 4 as it's related to the purpose of the writing. So that you, the reader, may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So that you can have certainty, you can have assurance that the things you've been taught, I think we can imply, are true, that they're right. So in one sentence we can summarize this prologue by saying that the narrative that Luke wrote is, is a well-ordered account of Jesus' life in the, in the life of the early church that provides certainty about the fulfillment of God's promises. That it provides certainty about the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And Schreiner points out something that I think is, is extremely helpful. He said we can see that exact same language and ideas of certainty and knowing and, and the same concept of fulfillment, again, by Luke in Acts 2, Acts 2.36. Luke recounts the, the end of Peter's sermon, who said this in, in Acts 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So that know for certain... Right, the fulfillment, that Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. So note it, right, the same word of, of certainty. And certainty of what? That God has made Jesus, whom the Jews crucified, both Lord and Christ. So in Peter's first sermon in Acts, and right after the Spirit is, is sent at Pentecost, we see Peter preaching to the Jews about the, the fulfillment the fulfillment of God's messianic promises that have been given to them throughout their history. So we see then both in Luke 1 and in Acts 2 how Luke, and Luke 1 said he will provide certainty for the reader through a well-ordered narrative that God has fulfilled his promises to Israel and to the nations in Jesus Christ. How God has fulfilled his promises we could just say shorthand, God has fulfilled his promises to his people in Jesus Christ. And that's why he's writing, so that we can be certain of that. The reader can be certain 
that these, the fulfillment of these promises are found in Jesus. So again, to summarize why this is important, it helps us know the purpose of why Acts is written. And we have to know the purpose of why Acts is written to, to fully understand the meaning. And it provides us, the reader, with full assurance that, has, that God has fulfilled all his promises to Israel in the Old Testament and the nations, and he's fulfilled or accomplished all of those promises in Jesus. The New Testament professor Greg Gennier puts it like this. He says, Luke's largest agenda in Luke Acts is to place, place the mission of Jesus and the church in its place in salvation history to show us how it fits in the larger narrative. Now this leads to maybe a really obvious question, but I think it's one that we should ask. Why would, then, why would the original readers, the original audience of Acts, why would they need assurance? Why would they need certainty that God has fulfilled his promises in Christ? Why, why is that even necessary? And Schreiner points out that we need to remember that sort of the, the bumpy road, the bumpy, the bumpy start that we see the community of God's people have in the book of Acts. And we need to see, and we need to, just as the, the early church needed to know, that everything that was, was occurring, everything that was occurring to them um, in those early days was indeed the plan of God. It was exactly how it was intended to be. It was a fulfillment of the promises of God. God's people needed assurance that they were on the right path, that everything is actually going according to, to God's plan. And remember that the early uh, New Testament church faced pretty severe hardships. They faced a uh, pretty large societal rejection um, persecution of various kinds. There was many trials and new divisions um, in the church. So I think it's very unreasonable to understand why God's people in this new era in, in salvation history might not be sure that they're actually experiencing the fulfillment of the kingdom, the fulfillment of God's, all of God's promises. I mean, they really didn't attain any political or institutional power or military power without understanding the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God and God's fulfillment of his promises. Without that understanding, it's easy to see how the church would be discouraged or even maybe doubting if things were working as they should be. So that's why, simply, that's why Luke wrote the book, to recount the narrative of God's working through his people to fulfill his promises. And the goal or the accomplishment of that purpose is that it's going to provide God's people, it's going to provide God's people with amazing assurance. Now, one way Schreiner argues we can think about the, the persecution and difficulties the church and Acts faced is to view them as a series of um, spiritual onslaughts of Satan. As, as the devil tried to thwart the spread of the gospel and the word of God. Of course, what, what, what are viewed as, as trials, what are viewed as tribulations from our perspective, as we see them in the book of Acts, 
They're actually what are used in the narrative acts to propel the gospel forward. Which is the, the ground or the reason that Luke gives the reader for our assurance. Essentially, the, the assurance of knowing that God knows what he's doing. That God's plan is good. That his ways are right. Even when it appears that things are going bad. God is fulfilling his plan for his people and it will not fail. That's what the book of Acts teaches us. And oh, how that's so helpful for us in this age, in the church, in all ages. I think it's one of the main reasons that, that we have the book of Acts is for this assurance of God's plan. And so with that purpose then of the book of Acts in mind, I think we can think about the, the difficulties, the issues of the church in Acts with, with more precision. Schreiner argues that the, the uncertainty the church faced stemmed in, in Acts from several categories from several categories that we see as we, read, as we read the narrative. So we see ethnic issues, we see gender issues, um, not issues, difficulties. Gender difficulties, supernatural, economic, and the, the political realities. All were working kind of against the church in Acts. So we can think of it... Uh, obviously from the spiritual realm, but there's just a number of earthly challenges that any new community of people who organize together, any new institution, they're, they're going to face a number of just earthly difficulties, and we see these recounted for us in Acts. That's not even to, the, again, let alone the spiritual realities working against the church with, with Satan trying to destroy the, the spread of the gospel. And these different categories, these different um, difficulties created what Schreiner will call pressure points of persecution and, and pressure points for disunity. And these aren't just, again, they're not made up categories that, that you're, we're um, putting on the text. This is what we see as the narrative of Acts unfolds, as the story is, is given to us by Luke. And thus, Acts answers or responds to all of these challenges. So ethnically, ethnically, the new community now consists of both Jews and Gentiles, which undoubtedly caused problems as the, the two came together. Jews wondered rightly whether welcoming Gentiles to, to table fellowship implied the, the abandonment of their faith they, they've had for generations, which told them not to do that. This is a, a, a massive deal in the book of Acts. It's a massive deal. It's a, a, a real threat to the New Testament church. And through the, the, the narrative that Luke recounts for us, we see that the Jews and Gentiles are supposed to fellowship together as a family in this new community, the church. And we see in the, the narrative that Christianity actually fulfills Judaism, you could say. It's a that's a massive theological statement, so we're going to unpack that um, in, in the following weeks. Um, but there, there, there we also, the, there were also right, political and social and economic issues facing the church. Christians wondered how, how their faith and religious practices existed, how, are, how are, is it supposed to exist in the Roman Empire? 
How does, a, how does the kingdom of God fit within the, the kingdom of Rome? How do these two work together? How do these relate? And how can a community consist of both rich people and, and poor people? When the culture of the day separated these two into very distinct groups that, that rarely mixed, how, how, how are the relationship between rich and poor? How is that supposed to work in this new community? And we see that, that the gospel, as we, as we read the book of Acts, we see that the gospel is for both rich and poor, and the rich are actually to, to provide for the poor in their midst. And we see Christianity and Rome don't necessarily have to be at, at odds as the church does not have to re- revolt. They don't have to. They're not commanded to commit treason against the pagan government. They can. The church can exist in pagan lands. In fact, it must at this time or in that time, um, for its existence. Gender is really, I think, the same as, as the economic issue. Women make up a large contingent of the church in Acts. How does the diversity of, of uh, a group of men and women, how do they exist in a culture that didn't really have categories for this? And simply, we just see that Acts is a place for both men and women. They're both welcome. And all of this shows how, how Luke wrote Acts to bring assurance to God's people as they, they faced these various challenges, these various persecutions that were pressure points, right? Pressure points of, of their persecution and pressure points that, of disunity that could have been sowed. And there, this is why it's key for us, it then guides us, future generations of the church, so that we could emulate these virtuous acts, we could emulate these practices of the New Testament church. And so then you see how it functions then as kind of a program, a blueprint for us as we face similar pressure points of persecution and disunity. Um, So before moving on to the final section, I'll pause. Any questions, comments? Dennis? Yes. He said, Dennis said, by programmatic, do you also mean prescriptive? I answered, yes. Yes, and that's one aspect of it. And it's situated in this larger story um, that we've seen from the beginning of Genesis of redemptive history, how, how it situates in both of those. We have to take both of those. Yeah, I think, sorry. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's kind of the purpose of, of what I'm trying to say, right? It, we, we have to understand that context to actually even get the right meaning of the book, to, to, to even theologize the book, to come to a right understanding of the truths that are being communicated to us from the book. So, yeah, that's super helpful. Denny. Can I call you Denny? Denny, Denny and the Jets. I don't know, I'm off the rails. Sorry, go. Dennis, Dennis. Not an elder now, so I can do. <laughs>
Yeah, I think that they're each contributing something unique to the canon, but not doesn't then make them distinct from the canon. All of the books make up the larger big story that we get, that we call the Bible, the canon, the scriptures. Um, yeah, that's helpful. All right, I'll move us on here to the final section. Um, so now you can, we're going to use the little chart that I gave you. Um, still not yet, but in a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so his final section is kind of then his, just his thesis or the argument for the rest of, of the book. And Schreiner in this book is trying to find the, the center or key theological truth that, that is the heart of Acts. That's what all theology should do. But, but Acts is interesting because scholars and theologians have come up with a ton of, of central focuses or key theological point of Acts. Um, for the book of Acts. So many folks argue Acts primarily focuses on the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit, and thus the Spirit is the focal point of Acts, or the, the Holy Spirit is the primary actor in Acts. Others claim the main thrust of Acts is actually the Word of God, which also almost becomes like, like a character in the story, God's Word being proclaimed and, and making ground through, through the world. Others claim the, the main actor and theological center of Acts is the church because Acts chronicles or recounts the, the early history of the struggles and the expansion of the church. Others say the, that the fundamental keys of the narrative is about the transition from Peter to Paul in the church, kind of this transition of leadership, passing the baton of leadership. There's been other argument, right, the... the the main theme of Acts is the continued works of Jesus. So the point is there's, there's a ton of different theories, a ton of different arguments in the church for what the center or foundational theological point of Acts is, which I think should give us a clue that they all might be right. <laughs> there might be truth in all of these. And it does make it difficult for us to ascertain which is the actual theme that is central. But again, I think they're, 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 the thing is, there's elements of truth in each of these proposals. The Spirit, the Father, Jesus, the Church, the Word, all of them play an integral role in the narrative of Acts. So Schreiner suggests that it's better to, instead of trying to find one central theme or theological principle that is at the center of Acts, instead of doing that, we should see how all of the prominent themes relate to each other. And so what Schreiner does in the rest of his book, which, again, I find very helpful. It's obviously why we're reading the book, but it's, this is super helpful, is to, is to show how there's a logical and conceptual order to these themes. How there's a logical and conceptual order to these prominent themes that we see come up in the story of Acts. And all of these themes fit logically together. Which then, Schreiner's argument goes that to, to truly have an understanding of the whole, of the, of the message of Acts, we need to see how the different parts, the different themes and truths connect to each other in a logically coherent system, because that's how they've been given to us. That's how Luke wrote it. And we should expect this when we're reading Luke-Acts, Luke because remember back in Luke 1, verse 3, Luke is writing a well-ordered account 
of these events. That word well-ordered, it doesn't mean that Luke is putting things in a correct chronological order. It's not well-ordered in that way. It's more easily understood as an account that is logically coherent. It's well-ordered in that it's, it, it makes up a logical, coherent system. So when we approach this text written by Luke, who's told us that he's writing a logically coherent narrative, a well-ordered account, what should we expect to find? You can answer this one. A logically coherent account. We should expect to find a well-ordered account because Luke told us that's what he's going to do. Meaning the different parts of the narrative make up a cohesive whole with an intended message and, and meaning for the reader to understand. Another way Schreiner says this is one cannot, theo one cannot theologize Acts correctly without narratizing it. I think he made up a word. Meaning we can't come to write theological conclusions about Acts without understanding and put together the dis different aspects of the narrative of the story that make up the whole. In fact, that's exactly what the discipline of biblical theology does, and is when thinking about finding the meaning and central theological themes of the entire scriptures. That's what we do on, on a big picture level of the entirety of the scriptures. The same is true for each individual book of the Bible, obviously including Acts. So one very quick example of what Triner's talking about about the, the logical connections that the narrative itself displays to us is that we can't talk about the Spirit in Acts without showing how He, the Spirit, is sent by the risen Christ. Or so we can't speak of Christ coming without speaking about the Father's eternal plan. Or we can't speak about the, of the power, the, the apostles, and the expansion of the gospel without the power of the Spirit. The point is they're, they're all connected. They're all logically connected. So you see, we can't pick one of those themes, right? We can't pick one of those themes as the most important theme and then highlight it as the, the major player, the, ma the key function in the book of Acts. Because by analyzing the narrative, it's the key, by analyzing the book as a whole, we see that they're all part of a larger, logically coherent theological system or program. And the whole point or purpose of Schreiner's book, then, is to explain and show all of these key theological themes that are found in the narrative and how they're connected and play off of each other. And I would argue it's actually just the, the same theme, the same logical system, theological system that we see in the entire New Testament. And actually, the entire scriptures is what Luke is doing. So Schreiner has chosen seven Themes, now we can get our sheets out. Schreiner's given us seven themes um, to summarize what he finds to be Luke's main theological aims in the story, in the narrative of Acts. And so you can look at the sheet. I'm just going to quote from the book what, what his argument. Let's see if you can follow here. He says, God the Father orchestrates through Christ who lives and rules and through the empowering spirit, causing the word to multiply, bringing salvation to all people groups, forming the church which witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, it's important to note just up front that, that if, you, you, if you go home and read the book of Acts, 
you'll see some of these themes are, are emphasized by Luke in different ways. They don't all have, um, they don't always show the, the chronological order of things or the amount of space that Luke gives or the amount of words that Luke gives to each topic. He gives more attention to some rather than others as far as the narrative space is concerned or the amount of words used. But this is the logical order that Luke presents us in his book. What, what Schreiner is going to call throughout this book a Lucan logic of the text. Lucan logic of the text. And at the center then, or the head of this logic of the story, is the triune God. And he must be. Hence the name of the book, the, the mission of the triune God. Because all the themes flow out, or from God the Father's plan, which is centered on the risen and enthroned King Jesus, and in the empowerment of the Spirit and the sending of the Spirit. And then we see the Spirit accompanies, He empowers the Word, God's Word containing salvation in Jesus' name. And the next step then in the, this logical chain is that through the Word, salvation in Jesus' name is then goes to all people, is for all people, and creates a new saved people which is called the church, the, the body of Christ, which the church then witnesses of the saving actions of the triune God that were just proclaimed to all nations. So that, kind of, that, that story that we see in Luke that he synthesizes in these claims on that sheet, that's the central story, the, the theological thrust of the book of Acts. And when we take all of these themes together, as, as one logical whole, we see the prior, priority of the Trinitarian nature and the Trinitarian shape of the message of Acts, which we should expect when we're coming to Acts, as we see that the whole Bible is a Trinitarian document. Acts is then fundamentally then a Trinitarian document, much like the whole Bible is a Trinitarian document. Acts is about God and God's mission, his mission to, to glorify himself by, by blessing the nations through his chosen people. And if you aren't completely tracking with this argument and feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose a little bit, a lot of information given at once, that's okay. I think that's how you should be feeling. The rest of the book and the study is going to, to be hammering out these, these truths, hammering out, hammering out these arguments, unpacking them. And so by the end of this, in two months, hopefully it won't be like drinking out of a fire hose and we can have a better grasp, right, of, of Shriner's argument here and, and I think the meaning of Acts. And ultimately, I just want to end with this. This is why this is important. Ultimately, it, it will allow us to, to read not just the book of Acts better, but the entirety of the scriptures. And if we can read the scriptures better, then we can obey the scriptures better. We can love the scriptures better. We can um, cherish them. And that's kind of my big goal, our big goal for this study, not just a mere intellectual exercise of getting to know the, the, the nuts and bolts of Acts, although that's fun and we're going to do that, but by, through that, that we can come to understand God's word better so that we can cherish and love it more in our lives. And so, through the rest of the book, Shriner's going to take on these, these seven themes, which you have before you, in the seven chapters, 
and kind of prove his arguments um, through the rest of the book. That the theology of Acts is only found by in identifying and, and seeing the Lucan logic that is found in a well-ordered narrative that we have for us in the text of Acts. So, that's all I have for us this week. Next week, we'll look at that first theme, the initial principal theme of God's, God the Father orchestrating in the book of Acts, God the Father's plan. So, any final questions or comments? I'm not sure I'm completely tracking with you, but... I trust that yeah. it's almost as if God knows what he's doing. <laughs> it's wonderful. And it deals definitely with differences of ethnicity, which is also applicable. All right. Thank you for your participation. We will see you in 15 minutes here and next week. You're dismissed.